I thought uh, I was just doing some a little bit of prep before this session. I, I thought I'd just actually look up the the dictionary definition of, of agility and what it actually says. And um, uh, I assumed I knew that the, the 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 dictionary definition. It actually says the ability to move quickly and uh, easily, or uh, the ability to think and understand quickly. And what's also interesting is that uh, improving finance agility is one of the top five priorities uh, for CFOs, according to the 2021 Hackett Group report, which uh, many people are familiar with. So it should be a subject matter which is uh, which is up there in terms of some of the priorities that people are talking about on a, uh, on a daily, weekly basis, I would imagine. When we talk about uh, the need to be agile, what we really mean by this is uh, that in order to be agile, you have to have information and insights uh, into the risks that are introduced by the, the operational changes uh, in your environment. And that, that might be uh, you know, the hybrid or working from home environment that, of course, we've all got uh, very used to. But it can be other things as well. It can be any form of change that comes into uh, the finance uh, team. That can be uh, change with automation, change in ERPs, or it could be transformational change. You know, typically, we all work in a, in a constant change environment and we need to spot the risks quickly so that we can uh, react to them quickly as well. And, and this is where the, the oversight and controls come into to play in order to mitigate uh, or remove, in, in many cases, the negative impact of change. Uh, and in fact, there's no real reason why you can't thrive in a changing environment if, of course, you've got a properly applied methodology. So that's a little bit of introduction. I think that's OK. So I'm keen to, to ask my, my partner colleague, Mark, uh, a couple of questions. I'm sure he's going to want to throw a few at me as well. And uh, I want to kick that off by just really understanding from, from you, Mark, um, you know, on your side of things, you know, what are the challenges that practice have identified over the last 12, 18 months or, or maybe, maybe, maybe beyond that? You know, for example, what's driving the need for uh, P2P uh, automation in, in your view? Yeah, thanks, David. As you say, I think on the agility point, um, it, it sort of reminds me of that that Charles Darwin quote, misquoted quote often, that um, it's not necessarily the the strongest, uh, or he didn't say organisation, obviously, but org um, organism or, or species that survive. It's the most the one which is most adaptive to, uh, to change um, and, and agility. So it reminds me of that a little bit. But um, yeah. one of the most misquoted quotes, isn't it? Really, I mean, I think. <laughs> Yeah, including by me right there. Yeah, <laughs> but we've um. One of the fittest, I think they say, don't they? Yes. Yeah. And like I say, it's, it's actually that which is yeah most adaptive to to change, and that's why we've seen we've definitely seen that more more recently as well. I think we've always seen a consistent demand from organisations that are looking to operate more efficiently. You know, free up resource, focus on more value add activities, and and trying to drive AP practice but that's so there's always been that background demand but i think certainly yeah the last 12 to 18 months we've we've seen that exacerbated by you know the kind of factors happening in the world um you know particularly in an area ap where um perhaps there has been a, a little bit of lack of investment um in in the function in digital technologies compared to other areas of organizations i think it's it's probably fair to say um, and where there's often a, you know, a, somewhat of a reliance on manual processes at times and, and workarounds. Um, and I think all this meant that for some organisations, they weren't necessarily well suited to kind of reconfiguring their processes and restarting them in a remote environment and, and, and essentially processing invoices from home. Um, and the sort of result of that, for, again, some organisations was that, uh, you know, when the need for agility was at its greatest and suppliers were, were crying out for, and, and payment some organizations 
you know faltered slightly and um you know some some payments were delayed and then i think obviously kind of later on in the you know the pandemic more recently we've seen a lot of organizations switching to paying on invoice approval so not necessarily waiting for invoices to, to you know to get to terms before they're paid but paying sooner to sort of inject that liquidity into the supply chain and help the suppliers out and that's that's great but obviously it's, you know that's wholly predicated on having that kind of slick process there if that invoice isn't approved until day 29 of 30 that's not really helping that supplier a great deal so that's that's definitely something we've seen um with some local authorities and even private organizations trying to reduce those cycle times down to help suppliers out um we've also seen that um you know, early payment discounts kind of come back to, to prominence as well, um, which has always been a factor. But I think traditionally it's been an area that's, you know, maybe by technology companies aimed at the, the bigger suppliers um, because that's where they can get the most kind of bang for their buck. Um, but those bigger suppliers don't necessarily need that capital. They, they have other ways of accessing that. So um, we've seen and some local councils we're working with on this um, are approaching it more from a, yes, a revenue centre, but targeting those SMEs and trying to you know inject some liquidity into that that area that's often been missed by that um so uh, yeah I think in terms of uh, sort of circling back to your, your question David yeah so yeah. I suppose even you know with all the technology that surrounds us we still see you know a world where suppliers still today just send in paper invoices as well um we have seen a shift to email I'd say during the, the, the pandemic and uh, you know as well as the software that our customers use in-house we run a managed service center and we still see a you know decent paper volume received and processed in there um but um yeah no, as I say I think with the pandemic some of that switched to email um but in some ways that's no better off because you're still having to kind of key those pdfs you know yeah. from an image into your erp system and if you're doing that from home unless you've got two screens it's it's pretty difficult really um and sometimes that can even create a sort of false perception where the function is deemed to be kind of digital or paperless or electronic yeah. and therefore automated but the yeah. reality is manual controls as well going on it's uh, yeah it's double yeah. keying in any case yeah. it, Exactly. Yeah, the, the reality is, is is far from that, really. So it can be a little bit of a, a misnomer. Um, so for those less automated and less agile AP functions, we've seen that strain, let's say, kind of exacerbated in the last year, um, just due to that kind of manual effort, really. And that's why we think it's important to you know to take customers on that journey from, you know, those kind of le less agile manual processes through to greater agility, greater automation. And in doing so, kind of you know, accepting different invoice formats um, and trying to reduce that manual effort down. So that's that's probably yeah, that's probably what we've seen definitely over the last kind of 12 to 18 months. From your perspective, David, what's what's driving the need for increased uh, risk protection? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good question because there's always been a need for for risk protection um, around around spend, and, and you know, it's, it's obvious many businesses have got uh, pretty established systems, uh, automated or, or, or manual. Uh, to help uh, mitigate the the threat of things going wrong, um, you know, without any form of risk mitigation, whether that's checks and processes, you know, there th would be some otherwise seriously impacted um, uh, bank accounts uh, around uh, around at the moment. Um, uh, what we uh, what we know is that even with robust uh, processes and, and checks, the payment issues, you know, still happen. And after eighteen months. I really had uh, additional layers uh, of complexity added into into the process, um, uh, you know, or manual checks uh, that have greatly increased the the workload of uh, of AP teams. 
Uh, and uh, you know, it's essentially you know it made the situation more vulnerable to uh, uh, to mistakes uh, and also fraud, and of course uh, uh, the the impact of non-compliance, uh, people not perhaps fitting in with the the process that's needed to be followed, has increased as well. So all of these things uh, crushed together have, uh, have, have really um, uh, put a lot of pressure on uh, people and and systems for that mean. So, so the need uh, for increased protection around the company's cash position, uh, you know, I think should really be a, a prerequisite, uh, probably um, more so now than it ever has been before. It's often one of these overused terms, unfortunately, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of brought a bit of a spotlight uh, on the matter. I think it's not that it's just all of a sudden uh, appeared. And as you know, Mark, you know, we, we support the prevention rather than cure approach to this particular problem, you know, stop the problem um, beforehand uh, by increasing your protection um, before money leaves the, the business. And I think, um, you know, the alternative is to manage the status quo, perhaps, or, or to assume uh, that there is no problem or, 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 or look to, uh, uh, to resolve the problem uh, at a later stage, you know, which, uh, uh, which typically adds more work to uh, an already stretched AP team who will be doing their normal thing. And then, of course, this uh, this uh, this bubbling challenge uh, uh, is 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 always going to be there there to be fixed. You know, whilst it is the AP team who, who typically see the most immediate benefit from uh, you know a, a proactive approach, a preventative solution uh, in place, uh, it goes without saying that uh, you know procurements, audit, finance, planning, you know all of these departments see a return to them uh, as a consequence of the efficiencies and controls that are put around uh, both the front end and. Uh, and back end of that uh, that process. I'll go, I'll go further and say that you know that many companies have got a, a view that they'll you know they'll clean it up later, uh, perhaps you know, let's say every 12 or 24 months, perhaps with an audit uh, in in their view. Uh, and this is very much a retrospective approach that inevitably you know you know will yield some results. And there are many established businesses supporting this methodology. Um, but it doesn't address the root cause. It's simply a, a spot fix, and in my view, not necessarily a particularly good spot fix. Um, but also, once you once you start down this particular process, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, in that you you know you believe you, you've always got this solution you can you can uh, instigate at some point in the future, uh, uh, which is not necessarily the right way to do it. So so increasing the protection uh, at the the front end means that uh, uh, that you'll find the issues and deal with them more proactively. And you'll also put an end to the principle of um, a rinse and repeat mindset of the old ways of working. Uh, and it's with this root cause analysis uh, from fiscal and the fix to the problem that then can be fed into proactives, for example, uh, that, um, that is captured in, uh, in an automation process uh, uh, going forward. This is where I think the, the true value and certainly how, how we, we've been benefiting our customers uh, working, working together. I hope that answers your question. I'll throw one at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've got a, I've got it here. So um, I'm I'm keen to just expand on the drivers, and I'm really keen just to understand uh, if you can describe a little bit more about how how practice customers have, um, uh, have what their experience and benefits have been from both obviously an AP procurement, maybe the broader finance question, uh, maybe the broader finance team uh, from uh, from practice. You ready to expand on that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you know, primarily we're looking at the the removal of manual processes. Um, so the resource savings that come with that, or or probably more aptly, you know, putting that resource into more value add areas, uh, areas like uh, you know, helping drive best practice and manage suppliers effectively. 
Um, that also reduces errors as well. If you're just, you know, if you're keying in 50,000 invoices a year, that, that is going to be quite error prone. Um, reducing cycle times as well. So as I say, the process of or the cycle of getting the invoice in, you know, dealing with the queries, getting it matched and approved for payment. If you can shrink that down, obviously, it, you know, it enables you to better manage cash flow, stops you getting um, late payment penalties uh, and earlier even opens the door to those kind of early payment discounts often as well. Um, and that in turn helps with supplier relationships. There's, you know, fewer calls chasing AP um, and, and more kind of trust there, really. Um, I think another area would be we see a lot of queries with the invoices we process and, and that our customers process using our software. Um, so this would be not necessarily issues of upfront non-conformance, really, to their sort of business processes. So perhaps a supplier isn't set up, you know, that somebody's just gone on, on the phone and, and, and you know, ask for some goods as opposed to raising a purchase order setting up a supplier um yeah perhaps an invoice has come in for a purchase order supplier but doesn't quote a valid purchase order it's been raised against the wrong supplier that sort of thing so we see a really high proportion of kind of invoice queries um that aren't typically well managed by you know the erp process or, or a manual process and i think a big part of what we do is try and sort of centralize that and enable suppliers to be part of that resolution process um so it sort of puts the onus of resolution on those suppliers a bit so they change their behavior going forwards mm -hmm. um, i think also in terms of drivers we're trying to we're trying to underpin ap best practice essentially we always kind of see the technology as an enabler um to you know principles for example like no po no pay centralization standardization um the technology is only really ever an enabler to these things so that's that's a big part of the picture um as well as that that ability to react you know that agility that we, we spoke about earlier um and um, yeah, probably improved visibility as well. Um, you know, audit controls, so you know when an invoice has come in. Um, you've got that kind of log of everything that's happened with it, so you can benchmark yourself versus you know your peers and, and look at you know how you really benchmark and target and manage that that function. Um, and in some ways as well, maximise your investment in your ERP system. Um, you know, we know what ERP systems are good at, and um, I think we really try and free them up to, to focus on the things we're good at um, by dealing with some of the stuff they're not necessarily great at. Yeah, I mean, let's make no bones of it. ERP systems are typically quite a substantial investment for, for every organisation. I hope yet to see someone who doesn't say that. Um, so, yeah, you're getting your bang for your buck out of the, the thing that you've invested a lot of money in is, is quite essential, making it work uh, to its maximum. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I suppose, David, could you, what would you describe as, um, you know, the benefits your customers see? Um, well, I mean, obviously, um, fiscal's client, fiscal clients use um, our, our software, it's called uh, NXG Forensics, uh, to, to essentially do a final sweep of all the uh, payment transactions. So it's a 100% sweep of all the, all the transactions uh, before uh, uh, the payment is made to see if there's any anomalies. Uh, or risks associated with it. Um, uh, and uh, we, we run a range of checks uh, that are identified and then presented back to, uh, to the customer. We use some very clever uh, algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning. So it does all the heavy lifting for our customers that they would otherwise have to do uh, on a manual basis. And it's, it's right at the end of that process uh, before the payment goes out. So after everything has been you know, checked, uh, and you're about to make that payment, that's when this mechanism effectively comes into its to its own. Uh, and it's checking for, for a range of things, as I mentioned uh, previously. And, that, and 
And uh, when they when they spot something that uh, hasn't perhaps followed the process or is an error uh, or has been missed by missed by uh, all the, the the manual checks or automated checks, um, they, they 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 get a risk indicators to tell them exactly where that risk is. You know, is it a risk of fraud, for example? Is it a risk of uh, of overpayments? Um, has it, uh, you know, has it, um, you know, has it had another mechanism? Uh, one of the, the many, many checks that we do, far, far out uh, in excess of the, the typical sort of three-way matching uh, environment, uh, and it's looking to try and spot the small number that effectively creep through the process that uh, the businesses have missed, and, and that's essentially, you know, what we're trying to uh, to put an end to. So all of the uh, uh, all of the necessary sort of manual checks and things that uh, the businesses would otherwise uh, would otherwise have to do. Uh, I hope that answers the question. Yes, um, I've, got, yeah. I've got a question, uh, I guess, uh, for for yourself, uh, Mark. And I think you know we, we've obviously got common systems that we both work with in, in the form of the uh, the ERP, the system of record. Um, um, you know, what are the shortcomings uh, that you think have given rise to the need for uh, you know, the specialist best of breed solutions like uh, practice and, of course, you know, fiscal. What's your, what's your view on that? I, th I think that's in some ways that's kind of the nature of ERP, isn't it? That's while it can do many, many things well, it inherently can't do everything. You know, it's kind of a jack of all trades in a sense. Um, and obviously there's advantages from having everything under one banner, but you can't have specialist knowledge in every single niche area in, in that model. And I think that's where there's those gaps for, you know, people like ourselves and yourselves to, to fit into that. And I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, a shortcoming, it's, it's something we'd more look to sort of dovetail with. And that's why we, we work with a lot of the, you know, the ELP vendors in, in the way we do and partner with those to sort of take that core functionality and then build it into specialized areas where there is a demand for, you know, automated invoice processing or, 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 you know, risk management and things that you guys do. So I think that's, I think that's kind of the nature of the beast in the way, but it, it does work in a really, obviously there's no duplication there because it's a, it's a complementary fit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, as you say, we, we work in the, in the same space really, don't we, you know, practice and fiscal, we're, we're both in kind of operational um, finance and, and a very sort of complementary and, and adjacent to each other, like say at different parts of, of the process. Yeah, and I think I think you know when you when you look at uh, where where fiscal and practice are with their solutions, um, you know it's uh, uh, you know the customer gets a full complement of uh, both process automation, process improvement, and um, risk mitigation. As I said, you know we're, you know you know we're certainly doing all the heavy lifting uh, for you. So. So that really our customers uh, are confident that they're in total control of their, their finances. Um, you know, there's a degree of, uh, of automation, uh, both at the, the front and the back end there. Um, but, you know, can you say absolutely precisely the, 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 the spend that you're about to make has absolutely gone through all the various checks and balances that, uh, that you really want to, it to have? That's, you know, that's really the place where, where fiscal wants to be. Yeah, and then just from, you know, kind of personal experience, having worked with lots and lots of our customers for the last kind of nine, 10 years, there's a huge overlap in, in those, in our respective customer bases. And I think that's obviously not a coincidence. That's that's testament to, to what we've spoken about, really, and the need for both an efficient kind of transactional throughput and also protection and, and risk mitigation. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely 
see that in real life in terms of that, yeah. that played out. I suppose given all that and given you know what you guys do and, and like the, the gravitas and establishment of it, what what would you say are the kind of usual or even unusual reasons for um, you know an organization not sort of proceeding with, with you know what, what you guys do? Yeah, I know mean, it's uh, it, it, it is sometimes a, a little a little odd, if I'm honest with you. But I mean, we do often uh, uh, hear that it's, it's 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 sometimes a little bit of complacency, if I'm honest with you, uh, in that they perceive that they have um, uh, sufficient checks in place. Uh, you know, where you know, the, the, or, or perhaps that there is always going to be a cost of doing business in a particular way. Uh, and we know from Hackett and various other reports that are out there, nothing to do with uh, fiscal practice in terms of you know uh, research, but independent research that uh, you know there's there's a there's a substantial amount uh, of, um, uh, of of payments made in error. There's obviously an increased amount of fraud uh, in the environment, uh, which is uh, which is just getting worse and worse. There's a, in fact, in 2019 and 2020, I think it was, they were talking about a six-fold increase in fraud in these reports. Uh, and you know, to have the, the mechanism of trying to have a, a check and a balance in there is really important. But I think sometimes I think uh, um, uh, our, our non-customers uh, have a, a view that they have uh, enough checks in place, and is there is there the uh, the protection they need over this uh, uh, to be put in place? And of course, you know, our view on this is that we can reduce those. Uh, those errors by a factor of 99%. You know, it's uh, it's substantial uh, in terms of its uh, its impact. So uh, it, it is frustration frustrating from my perspective when you hear people perhaps a little bit complacent about well, it's only one percent or half a percent. It's half a percent of your spend. <laughs> That's not a lot of money. Yeah, it's a, a half yeah, percent of it. Yeah. Well, let me ask, let me ask you the same question, Mark. Well, what's uh, <laughs> what, uh, what do you hear from your customers? It's a funny one, I suppose. I mean, we're I think we're at a place now where we've we've kind of been in this industry since the beginning. And I think the benefits of, of AP automation are quite tangible and, and quantifiable, certainly to us. You know, we're able to sort of benchmark the current processes. We've got that, you know, that process expertise and that wealth of work behind us to be able to do that and to be able to sort of, you know, compare that with peers and 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 we know what is ultimately possible from our customers in terms of, you know, those those kind of world class operators. So from a business case perspective, obviously all that can be quite powerful. Um, and I suppose it's important that they're not projections. They are based in, you know, real life, tangible case studies and customers that are, that are referenceable and, and in the same industries as, as you guys, really. Um, but I suppose despite that, we would always advocate that the technology is kind of the enabler and, and only through process change can you really get that true sort of transformation um you know standardization ap best practice principles and i suppose if an organization is you know is looking for a sticking plaster then that would you know without addressing core underlying issues to do with the process that would, would probably be a bit of a red flag to us um so that would probably be one scenario um i think past experience can be an issue as well where a lot of the organizations we talk to say given the maturity of the market now but maybe have tried a sort of some sort of system maybe 10 years ago some sort of basic ocr or something and perhaps they didn't get what they wanted out of it i know the modern finance forum survey did a um sorry the modern finance forum did a survey of, of ap automation projects in the wider market and um yeah there was quite a high proportion where they didn't sort of show a, you know they didn't achieve what they set out to which is very kind of in contrast to our approach but 
that sort of issue of maybe having been burned historically and 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 I suppose that can perhaps contribute and but that's why we have such tangible metrics and and, and referenceable customers really so um yeah there are probably two things that, that come up sometimes we, we were introduced to to a customer who um, uh, who wanted to uh, buy our software solution um, but before they wanted to uh, have the software and they actually wanted to do a recovery audit to, to make sure that uh, uh, their environment was uh, was ship shape. Uh, and we started the audit. Uh, we started the audit, uh, which was uh, say back by our software. Uh, and um, the client told us that uh, they had a long-term audit partner that uh, had just finished a six-month audit of their their accounts, and they were pretty confident uh, that we wouldn't find anything. So we were relaxed about the fact that you know obviously somebody had been in there. And of course, using our software, uh, we were able to identify over a million pounds within uh, of, of payment errors. Uh, within four weeks um, and uh, that had been missed by the previous auditor. Uh, and then we went on to subsequently find a total of uh, 2.3 million pounds by the end of that particular project, which was quite literally only, only recent. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we obviously encourage our clients to, uh, to see for themselves, you know, what this really can do for them and don't assume that the checks that they have in place are sufficient. Uh, typically, you'll find that 75% of, in, uh, of invoices are below a thousand pounds. Which of course, if you're doing a check of everything, you know you're, you're going to pick uh, any of the anomalies uh, up that might uh, might be presented there. Um, but most audit companies typically look for the larger value stuff and the, you know the low hanging fruit or whatever it might be, um, um, because they're applying manual resources to to that particular project. So, so that was just one. It was a great story for the customer. Obviously, they managed to get uh, a, a ton of money back. Uh, and that was great. Uh, that was great for them. And of course, it, it really defines the value of, of our technology and what we're, what we're what we're here to prove as a business. So I'm just conscious of time. So we're on the button here. I mean, would you say, Mark, uh, for you, is that what's the key takeaway from from your perspective um, for today's session? I, I suppose the kind of complementary nature of what we do is is very evident to me. I think automation and 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 agility don't just prepare for sort of that unexpected change but improve efficiency and open up those kind of cost saving and even as, as i said earlier potentially revenue generating opportunities we've seen that shift from accounts payable sometimes looking to become not just a cost center but a but a revenue generator um so that's probably the main main one for me yeah yeah no, i think i think i'd like to probably just expand on that and just just say that um, you know controlling spend is, isn't uh, restrictive it's about visibility it's about optimizing best practice uh, it's about avoiding uh, time and expenditure traps that uh, you know we all we all fall into we're all human um, and the second uh, thing for me is that there's always going to be risks um, whether those risks are known or unknown uh, maybe sometimes new in terms of our changing environments uh, lots of examples of that about that uh, and rather than point solutions for each type of risk there's that you can use a preventative uh, detection for exceptions and errors and use risk indicators to to drive your business improvements uh, uh, forward. And I think it's probably the only practical way uh, to protect your spend. And then, of course, your your business and your business reputation. For me, thank you very much uh, for joining. Thank you, Mark, for, for your contribution there. And uh, we, could, we could talk all day, like I say. So yeah, thanks everyone for joining.